Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, today is our last message in the series, God's Providence. So let's turn in our Bibles to Romans chapter 8, verse 28, as Dr. Newfeld brings us the fourth application, Be Optimistic. not telling you any news if I tell you that I don't believe even half of what is said by motivational speakers. You know, I love the now deceased preacher who used to say, tough times never last, tough people do. Now, many people loved it when he said that. It's like saying, you know, you can do it. Your problems are not tougher than you are. If life hands you lemons, make lemonade. Tough times never last, tough people do. To which I respond, nonsense, tough people never last. In Psalm 102, verse 11, the psalmist says, My days are like an evening shadow. I wither away like grass. Or David's words in Psalm 103, 15 to 16, As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower in the field, for the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. Or as Moses put it in Psalm 90, verses 4 to 6, For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday, when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them, that is, people away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. And then several verses later in verse 9, Moses adds, For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. And that also reminds me of the amount of books that have been published with titles like Finishing Well. Now, Now look. I'm all for living with faith and faithfulness all the days of our lives. And I'm inspired by Paul's words in 2 Timothy 4, verse 7, where he says, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. I love that stuff. And so should you. And if that's what it is to finish well, to be faithful to the end, well, let's trumpet that. But let's not forget how failing the Lord's return, how many of us will all finish. You know, we will get old. We will get less effective. Some of us will develop Alzheimer's. Some of us will get cancer. Some of us will find our eyesight failing, and some of us will be placed into a home somewhere. Many of you listening to me won't finish strong in the physical sense of the thing. You'll find your influence waning in the later years. Let me tell you of some of my heroes of the faith. Athanasius was banished from the empire. John Chrysostom was kicked out of his pulpit and then Roman soldiers walked him to death. Catherine, the wife of Martin Luther, was warned by her husband that if she should marry him, it would not be a good deal for her. And after Luther's death, Catherine lived a life of poverty until she succumbed. Charles Haddon Spurgeon was so maligned even by his own brother that his widow claimed that the stress that he felt led to his early death. Are you surprised? I mean, why should you be surprised? Our Lord was crucified on a Roman cross. So much for ending strong, if by that you mean ending with all men and women speaking well of you in full vigor, being carried in a chariot all the way to heaven. I mean, if that's God's will for you, that's great. But let me tell you the difference between my father and my mother's death. My dad was intellectually crystal clear until he passed, speaking about his hope in Christ, encouraging his children on. My mother had Alzheimer's for years. She couldn't speak at all. She didn't recognize anyone. Finally, she just stopped eating. And when we asked if we should tube feed her, the doctor said it would probably fill her lungs with fluid, leading to her drowning death. 
we said, well, then let the Lord's will be done. And she passed away, not recognizing her family that had gathered around her in a complete fog of confusion. And as for tough people lasting, well, they don't. They're like grass and all our places will soon be empty. There, have I depressed you enough? I hope you're listening. We're not the tough lords of the earth. We're grass of the field. And as for those bravado obituaries, in which it's common to read that a certain loved one will never be forgotten, well, I'm sure that sounds very nice, but the majority of the world never knew who that person was in the first place, and very soon, those who promised never to forget, well, they'll also be dead and they'll be forgotten as well. I'm sorry, if you're looking for good news in this life, you're badly deluded and in love with vanity. I find harsh realism far more refreshing. Solomon's words in Ecclesiastes 1 verse 2 is, while depressing, truthful. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. It might not be nice to hear, but I prefer truth to flowery lies about tough people lasting. And so is there reason for optimism? Well, yes, but if you're looking for earthly reasons for optimism, I promise you that all of the motivational speakers are lying to you. Truth be told, if your hope is in this world, I promise you that the path ends with a dead end. And by the way, that's why I sometimes meet men and women who are in midlife crisis. They get to be about 45 years of age and come to the realization that their life is half over. And suddenly they go into a panic. It's, it's half over. Oh my, I'm accomplishing so little. I must fulfill my destiny, they say. And some try to recapture their youth by trying to look young. Of course, it's delusional because they don't look young. I mean, ask an 18-year-old if a 45-year-old man or woman looks young. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure of what someone who's actually young says of a middle-aged person who tries to look that way. No, they look old. They're, they're pathetic in the way they're trying to fool themselves. And by the way, I love the 60-year-olds who say that they're in midlife crisis. Hardly. You're not at halftime. You're in the third period of the hockey game and it just might end early. And then comes the second moment of panic in the later years. It's called either retirement or the loss of health. Either one, but suddenly we realize that there are no great accomplishments that lie ahead, none. Whatever difference we made or thought we made now lies behind us. And a great many people will tell you they made a far smaller impact than they ever had imagined. Perhaps they were going to win the world for Christ or change the church for the better or teach the next generation not to make the mistakes of your generation or, or whatever it was. But now what's been done is done. And it turns out it was less than you had imagined. Are you depressed yet? I hope you are because I have great news. I have fantastic news, news that's better than the best news you've ever heard. But I know that you won't listen to this news as long as you still buy into the fantasies of this world. And if you're objecting and saying, well, wait a minute, some people really have made lasting impressions on this world. Well, I agree, I guess. Indeed, I couldn't agree more. I mean, think of how the world was changed with the invention of the printing press or how many lives were saved with the discovery of penicillin or how many cultures were changed by stressing things like literacy and clean water and justice systems over dictatorial rule and on and on go the things that better the human race. Many of these advancements were made because of visionary, far-sighted men and women. And, you know, for my part, I've loved the story of William Wilberforce and his tireless campaign to end the evil practice of slavery in England. 
And there are so many more battles to fight today. Yeah, all manner of people do make a difference. And I would urge our young people to dream and to hope and to pray and to ask God. You know, better than all the difference makers are the men and women who bring the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ to people and to lands that have never heard the gospel before. I had an elderly man in my church. Now he's passed away already, but uh, while I was serving that church, uh, he was one of the elders. And his gospel witness in Ethiopia set the table for the evangelical movement in that nation, resulting in the salvation of many, many people. You know, I used to say to young people, you see that guy over there? Yeah, that one there. You know, if you think he's just an ordinary person, if I were you, I'd get to know him because he changed an entire nation. You know, I, I would never say that the lives of these men and women who engage in things that are for, for the glory of God and the good of the human race is anything less than it is. I celebrate their achievements. I celebrate their faith. I love the story of John Knox who prayed, God, give me Scotland or I die. May more young men and women pray like that. But, and you knew a but was coming, but... Please listen to me. I'm not going to say that we human beings should not strive to make our lives count or to move beyond the mundane to greatness. Indeed, I find that those individuals who want to do more than simply take care of their immediate needs, who want to make a difference around them, who want to make something better. See, if we never ask those questions, I think we're denying something of the image of God in us. No, God really did create us for a lot more than simply looking after ourselves and taking care of our own pleasures. The life that is lived so that others might live, so that God might be glorified, is the life that God wants us to live. But, ah, there I've said it again, so please stay tuned because there is something about the providence of God that should make us far more optimistic than anything that we might want to accomplish in this world. Indeed, to set our hopes on this world, even on the good that we might do here, is going to lead to disillusionment. It's so important to hear that. Our society is filled with hustle and noise. Everyone is in a rush to go and do. We always are striving to be productive, and too often we carry this flustered spirit into our faith. But what if God was looking for our presence and not just our productivity? God wants us to know Him intimately. This requires time, time to be still and silent with Him. So, in response, Back to the Bible Canada and Dr. John Newfeld have created a new 30-day devotional entitled Quiet Spaces, Volume 2. This is the next installment of the original Quiet Spaces devotional. This is your opportunity to take a moment in the Word, a quiet space for God in your day. So we want to send you this resource, Quiet Spaces Volume 2, for free this month by just calling us at 1-800-663-2425 or visiting backtothebible.ca. You know, we all do well to remember 1 Corinthians 7, verse 17. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. So what does that mean? 
in context, it has to do with people who are married and those who are single, and it has to do with those who are Jews and those who are Greeks and those who are born slaves and those who are born into privilege. So that's the context. And furthermore, 1 Corinthians 4 verse 7 asks, what do you have that you did not receive? And that, of course, includes the talents we have, the, the life situation that we were born into, the time period in which we live, and the opportunities that we have access to. So truth be told, some of those people who have made a great difference in the world had the right confluence of talents, access to education, access to the levers of power in their world, access to technology, the health to sustain them, so forth. If these things were not present, they would have never been great. You know, some people call that just dumb luck, but we don't, and neither does the Scripture. Paul says, lead the life the Lord has assigned to you. Translation, don't fight God's providential arrangement in your life. If God gave you the opportunities to be a rocket scientist, then pursue it with all your might. If you live in a small village in El Salvador, live there for the glory of God. Listen to 1 Corinthians 7, verse 21. Were you a slave when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. In short, you might not be able to free yourself from slavery. I mean, if you can, use that opportunity, but you might not get it. See, I've said a great deal about true and false optimism. I've wanted to dash all hope that you might think that this life and this world is the theater for your greatness. I think the counsel that God gave Jeremiah ought to be standard Christian counsel. Jeremiah 45 verse 5 records God speaking to the prophet, and he says, And do you seek great things for yourself? Seek them not, for behold, I am bringing disaster upon all flesh, declares the Lord. So in short, God wanted Jeremiah to be very careful in pushing himself forward because in his day, Jerusalem was going to fall to the Babylonian army. Now, if you were some kind of you know, politician of high political office, you would be the target for the invading Babylonians. Now is not the time for greatness. But that's exactly my point. Your times will determine your opportunities, and your times are in God's hands, not in your own. In his wise providence, God will ordain, and he will sustain that which is for his glory and for the eternal good of his people. And for this reason, we should not fret if our opportunities to make an impact are less than that which has been afforded to others. Indeed, I think I should state the matters far more forcefully. If your worth or if your goal in life is to seek great things for yourself, you're offside. God, not you, will determine what you accomplish, and truth be known, all those verses about being like grass and like a brief vapor should be taken to heart. Most of us will end this life not in a blaze of glory, but with a tiny whimper and we will be no more. But again, I'm speaking about the doctrine of God's providence and about living a life of undying optimism. I mean, where can such a life be found? And 1 Corinthians 15 is a wonderful chapter in our Bible. It details the resurrection of the dead and that our earthly body one day will be transformed to be like Christ's glorious body. And then, 
in the very last verse of that chapter, in verse 58, it says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So notice what the passage doesn't say. It doesn't say, therefore, since you've learned about the resurrection, begin to speculate when that might happen and lose interest in the world here and now. I mean, the reason I say that 1 Corinthians 15 doesn't end that way is because some of us think that when it comes to the second coming of Christ and our being raised up together with Christ, that for many of us, this is simply talk about the distant future and it's unrelated to the meaning of life here and now. But if you think that way, you couldn't be further from the truth. Instead, 1 Corinthians 15 verse 58 says that what Christians do for the kingdom of God will bring results that will last forever. What you do for the future kingdom right now will never be forgotten. I mean, think of it this way. You know, years ago, I spent some time with a man who was, uh, had vested in, in church planting in both Germany and also in Russia. He told me his life had turned out quite differently than what he had planned. He was planning a career in the automotive industry in design. You know, one day as we were together and we were traveling from one location in Germany to another, we were following a certain car, and he was commenting on the design of the rear taillight of that new model. He told me, I almost spent my entire life investing in the design of taillights. When my life was through, it would have been said of me, he managed to exert a powerful influence in how taillights look and function on vehicles. You'd have looked at a rear view car and you'd have thought of me. You know, instead, I will have no influence on these things, he said, but I'll have an influence on the eternity of men and women. Indeed. But think about the difference. Investment in taillights, investment in eternity. When a million years have come and gone, not one of those taillights will even remotely matter. Now, let's get as practical as we can. Whatever you do in the work of the Lord is not in vain, for its impact is an eternal one. It may be discounted now. You have to get used to that. Jesus said in Luke 16, verse 15, that which is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. You have to figure out where you're going to make your investment. If you were to become a president or a prime minister in this world, I promise you in a million years, not one person will remember your name. But if you invest in a Sunday school class and influence one child to trust in Christ, your work will never be forgotten. Okay, we know that. Colossians 3, 23 to 24 says, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. And 1 Peter 1 verse 18 says that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. Ah, but someone might say, well, yeah, but wouldn't it be nice to make a maximum impact in this world? And again, I ask, where do you want to invest? In taillights or in eternity? But having said that, let's tie all this together with the doctrine of God's daily providence in our lives. See, I want to say that some of us are not content with the way in which our lives are turning out. And now you've learned that God has ordained your ways. God made you so that you're not the best-looking person in the world. He made you and then made others to have greater intellectual abilities than you have. 
Your skills and natural talents are bested by others, and the opportunities that have come to some are far greater than the opportunities that have come to you. So what should you do? And the answer is that you need to take the light in the providence of God. You need to take the light in the fact that God has designed you exactly as he has designed you. Don't like the length of your nose? God wanted it that long. Get used to it. It's what he wanted. Uh, But on a much more serious note, we need to begin to rejoice in the opportunities that God has given us. Don't spend your life wanting to be someone else. Spend your life rejoicing in God's plan for you and then serve the Lord with all your heart, realizing that what you're doing is not in vain. That brings me to the subject of optimism. As a Christian, I'm always keenly aware of two things. First, God is preparing me today to maximize my eternal joy. See, I need to know that even the sorrows that I face today are being used for that purpose. And second, I'm also aware that my best days lie ahead of me. Yeah, I know that if Christ delays his coming, there lies before me a coffin and a grave, and I will not escape that reality. But I will not fear, for even the death that God has reserved for me is serving his glory and my long-term good. See, the doctrine of providence then fills me with contentment and joy. I can now stop with this restless, disappointed, angry, unfulfilled heart, or I can also stop with the lies that have been told me, and I can rather begin to rejoice. Romans 8.28, For we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. John, I'm, I've been really excited about this series. It's an incredible series. I think it's something people need to hear. But let me ask you this question in summary as we come to a conclusion. How do you equate God's providence and your optimism? Yeah, that my best days are ahead of me. Your best days are ahead of you, that things are going to get better. And uh, we know that's the case. But I think we know it because in the end of Romans 8, Paul says, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but freely gave him for us, how will he not along with him give us all things? So it's not as if Paul is saying, you know, maybe God is for us. He's saying God is for us, that God is using his power, his ability to plan all things, control all things, use all things for his glory. He does that for my good. God is for me. And, uh, you know, we need to say that regularly. Uh, When we're feeling most distressed, say that. God is for me, and therefore I have hope. Amen. Thanks so much, John. Thanks for a wonderful series. Join us again next week right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. Back to the Bible Canada's mission is to provide Bible teaching you can trust in every medium possible, to break down any barriers from spending time in God's Word. So check out all the Bible resources available online, video, print, radio, podcast, and CD. And it's our prayer that anybody who tunes in finds encouragement in their spiritual journey. We want to guide you back to your Bibles. All of this is made possible through the faithful support of our listeners. 
If you would like to make a financial contribution to this ministry, or even consider blessing us with a reoccurring monthly gift to help propel the Word of God across Canada and beyond, just call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebiblecanada.ca. And thanks so much for your support.